Good morning. Uh, it's good to see you. Well, I guess not good morning, good afternoon. Um, glad you were able to make it. I know it's a Memorial Day weekend and the weather kind of sucks, but um, it's good to see everybody here and that you're able to make it out today. Hopefully um, you get to enjoy the weekend, whatever you're doing, but um, nevertheless, we just ended a sermon series looking at community and gifts, and now we're slowly transitioning into something else. And uh, what I've decided to do is because, um, actually, this is sort of a precursor to what I really want to talk about next week in terms of what Jesus says as the light. But this is the famous passage. This is uh, from Exodus chapter 13. You know the story about Moses and the Israelites. They had just escaped Egypt, they were in slavery, Moses led them out, and uh, now they're headed towards the Red Sea. And so that's where the context is. And, and really, it's the beginning of a new journey. It's the beginning of a new, uh, new beginning, a new start. I don't know about you, but it's been, a, what, over a year, and maybe a little over a year since we've been quarantined, and, and now that things are really starting to open up. I think even in our church, we may even change up some of the... Um, requirements here to get into service, but I don't know what you're thinking, right? Uh, the pandemic's kind of slowly, hopefully, going to be put behind us. Maybe you're already making plans. I know some of you have been itching to travel, and uh, now that, you know, maybe it's a little safer to travel, you've already made plans to go somewhere, right? Maybe, you know, you're thinking not, not just in the next few months, but you're thinking in the next few years. Um, you know, your kids are getting older, you're thinking about college, uh, school, maybe work, you, you want to do something different, you know. So this, it's kind of a new start for many of us because of the tent pandemic is you know, sort of over. And, and we've set some short-term goals, maybe you set some long-term goals, uh, small ones, big ones. But here's the thing that we see here in Exodus 13, and I think something that we need to understand, that sometimes it's not about just getting to your goal, uh, achieving your, your ends. Sometimes it's about how we get there along the way and how we are as people along the way, how we manage along the way. And sometimes, sometimes that can be just as important as finishing. Because sometimes, right, just sometimes, it's not always about reaching the finish line. It's also about the journey itself. Arthur Ashe, the famous tennis player who retired in 1980, he said this, quote, success is a journey, not a destination. The doing is often more important than the outcome, end quote. And so as we think about what we're doing and what our goals are, once in a while, if we focus on the actual journey to the goal, it shines a light on what else you might get out of trying to reach your goals. The trek, right? The, the journey itself is oftentimes where you learn, uh, where you grow, where you struggle. And in some ways, achieving your goal is a byproduct of being faithful on your journey. So for example, Maybe you set a goal to lose some weight. You know, you got the quarantine weight going on and you want to lose some weight. And maybe you reach your goal. But as you think about your travel, you also learn new healthy habits. You've also learned that now you have the knowledge that you have what it takes to actually get to your goal. Forming new habits, striving towards something bigger than yourself, filling your life with purpose. These are lessons that no one can take away, but they're lessons that we learn as we live our life towards our purpose. And even if you don't reach your goal, it may turn out 
that you might not even need to reach your goal to be successful because what you get out of simply trying and doing is guaranteed to make an impact. Wouldn't it be nice just to have someone hand us on a silver platter what we want, you know, in five years, this is what I want to do, this is what I want to have, this is what I want to be, and then somebody just gives it to you right there. But maybe sometimes God's priority is not always to reach whatever goal that we set. Sometimes he wants us to teach us something, to experience something along the way, something about ourselves, something about him, something that, that we would never have learned if it was just to hand it over to us on a silver platter, whatever that is. And so in our passage, I think this is what the Israelites are learning and are going to learn. You know, though, if you ever read Exodus or even if you watch the Disney movie, uh, you know, about the Exodus, the famous words by Moses, let my people go. Well, here in verse 17, that's what Pharaoh does. He let his people go. He let these people go. After many dangers and many struggles, the Israelites finally made their way out of Egypt. In fact, we read in the previous chapter, in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 32, Pharaoh wanted to get them out. Pharaoh wanted them to leave because they were much more trouble than they were worth. Get out of my land, he said. So you've got 600,000 people, right, plus if you include women and children, who are leaving, trekking, journeying out of Egypt. The goal was to get to Canaan, the promised land, they say, right? But the journey is where they learn most about themselves and where they learn most about God in a profound way. I've got three Ps for you to kind of follow along here, right? Three Ps. We're going to see here the path of God or the providence of God. Second thing is we're going to see the promises of God. And lastly, we'll see the presence of God, the path of God, the promises of God, and the presence of God. And so here's the first point, the path of God. And here's what the path of God or the providence of God does. It preserves us. So in verse 17, Pharaoh says, let, my, let the people go. And then what does he say after this? God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. And I want you to notice immediately, God led. Yes, he uses people, he used Moses, and later on Aaron, but ultimately, he's the one. He led, and in verse 17, where we read, God does something on the surface, at least to me, it appears altogether counterintuitive. It's almost backwards. Why? Because if you knew anything about the geography of, of Canaan and Egypt and the Nile River, you would know that the normal way, the quickest route to Canaan, was through what was known that time as the Via Maris, or the Way of the Sea, a trade route from the Nile River through northern Sinai and into Canaan. But God, we're told in 17, goes the opposite direction, completely different direction. He takes them southeast through the desert. And if they had taken the most direct route, these people were on their way to Canaan, if they had taken the most direct route, you know how long it would have taken? Two weeks. A two-week journey to the borders of Canaan. But the route that they end up taking took a year. A whole year. And even after that, they spent another 40 years wandering in the desert. It's a huge detour. In other words, the quickest route, the most familiar path, what seems like the best route, was not what God had in mind. His path, their route was much longer. And as we learned, it was much harder. 
But I think what Israel learned here and is learning, and sometimes what we need to learn is this, that sometimes the path that we're on, God's path given to us, though tough, may actually be better for us in the end. Because I think just like the Israelites, I don't think they knew what God was thinking, what they had to take, why they had to take the longer route. And oftentimes, it's the same for me. I don't understand why God does what he does. But in this particular case, you're actually given a window into his thinking. Because in verse 17, he says, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. You see, here's the thing. You actually get to know why God does this. Because he knows. He knows. He's not saying, look, the path that I'm giving you is easier. All right? Stop, stop complaining. It's, it's going to be okay. He doesn't say that. He knows it's going to be difficult. Right? He knew it was going to be difficult. More than anyone, he knew this. And he knew that there is a faster route to Canaan from Egypt. But he also knew that along the faster route, they would have encountered Egyptian camps, Along the way, he also knew that at the end of that route, there would be the mighty Philistine army waiting for them. And the thing is, God didn't just know the geography. He knew the people. He knew the Israelites. He knew these Israelites, they were in no shape for battle. I know verse 18 says they were equipped for battle. But in, in the Hebrew, it's more like they left in formation. In other words, they were just organized to leave. They were slaves. Right? They've been through so much already. They're in no position to fight anyone. You see, God didn't just know the lie of the land ahead of them, but he also knew the landscape of their hearts. He knew they were weak. He knew there were a bunch of people that were ready to turn back at the moment of any trouble. He knew they were scared. He knew the strength of their faith. Fragile. And if they faced more enemies, which they would have along the shorter route, they would quickly want to turn back to slavery in Egypt. In fact, they say that all the time later on in Moses. Why did God bring us to this land to fall by the sword? It's better to go back to Egypt. So God had a path for them. But he had a plan. Knowing their hearts. Knowing what laid ahead. He knew what was still safer, better, wiser. He knew the lessons that people still had to learn. He knew that they still need to know about his character, his holiness, his grace. He knew that these things they would only learn through the difficulty and the trials on the way. That's the wisdom of God. That's his providence. That God is working his purposes out year after year. Here's a question that I want to ask you today. Do you believe this? I don't know how long your year was. I don't know how hard it's been for you. I know many of us here have struggled maybe with work, maybe, maybe with, with sickness, maybe with family ones getting hurt, or even the loss of loved ones. I know it must have been very hard for many of us. But do you believe that the path that God has given is still there? Him working in you and through you. Because there are times, aren't there, just like Israel, where we are tempted to judge God and wonder, God, what in the world are you thinking? Why the pandemic? Why the loss of jobs? Why the loss of a loved one? Why, why get sick? Why disease? Why get hurt? This, this is a disaster in my life. There's got to be an easier way, a better way. Do you know who William Cowper is? William Cowper was a man born in the 18th century to a wealthy family in England. 
he went to law school, but he eventually he didn't really get the job he wanted, and things went kind of downhill from there. Uh, he, he was familiar with the gospel. He's familiar with church, but, but eventually he was filled with guilt, with, with self-loathing. Uh, he, he had this sense of darkness and doom, and he fell into depression. He attempted suicide three times. And finally, in 1763, he was admitted to an, an asylum. And eventually he was able to go and leave that place. But a big turn in his life came when he met a man by the name of John Newton. You know John Newton, right? The guy who wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton became the biggest influence in Cowper's life. And Cowper, struggling with depression, writes one of the more famous hymns, maybe you don't know, but a famous hymn called God Moves in Mysterious Ways. And in that quote, or in that stanza, he, he writes this. Cowper writes, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. William Cowper's fight with depression wouldn't end there, but he knew where to turn. And here the first point, the path of God, it teaches us that even when the path of God leads us by ways we just don't understand, that we just can't see, over difficult, hard, sometimes even painful moments, that we're still called to trust in God's providence, that he's still working. God never tells these Israelites, hey, stop complaining, stop being a wuss because it's not that hard. He never says that. He knows it's going to be hard. Of course he knows the path that he chose is going to be difficult. But here's the thing. Do we ever pause to think that however hard it is right now, whatever it is we're going through, that what God allows right now is to keep us, preserve us from taking another path much worse? That in his wondrous providence, he has kept us from going through another trial, which might actually be too unbearable for us to keep. A lot of what we deal with appears to us as evil, but God intends for good. And what the Israelites needed to learn, and what we sometimes need to learn, is that whatever the appearance is, God demands our trust. That he is working for our purposes, for our ultimate good, and that it's a path safer than we might choose for ourselves okay the path of god preserves us judge not the lord by feeble sense but trust him for his grace behind a frowning providence he hides a smiling face it's counterintuitive but his wisdom and goodness is dependable okay second point the promise of God, okay? There's the path of God, but we see here the promises of God. Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and he shall carry up my bones with you from there. So you've got a huge army of refugees, right? They're traveling like nomads in the desert. They're, they're hungry now. They're thirsty. Uh, there's need of every kind. There are moments where, where their heart wants to give up. There are moments where they just want to curse Moses. They want to curse God for bringing them out into this place. They're dealing with sickness and drought and war and famine and sin and even death for even not just a year, but 40 years along the way to Canaan. And along the way, here's what they're doing. We're told they're carrying some dead guy's old moldy bones. And it was Joseph's bones. Now, why would they do this? 
Did they venerate the old saint? Did they really respect him so they wanted to carry his bones to king? No. If you read Genesis chapter 50, around 400, 500 years ago, Joseph made them promise that they would take his bones and bury them in Canaan. Four or 500 years ago, Joseph was told by God, I promise you I'll get you to your land. Four or 500 years before they left, he didn't even know how it was going to happen. He didn't know when it was going to happen, but he trusted in the promise of God. That's where I'm going to be buried. So he made the Israelites promise. When that happens, bury, you know, dig up my bones and carry me to the land of Canaan and bury me there. Joseph was so confident about God's promise to bring his people, his descendants into the promised land, he told the people to promise that they would do that for him. You know Joseph, right? Betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, falsely imprisoned, right? Evil after evil, utterly wronged, unjust, and then made a leader of Egypt, second to Pharaoh, in a position to save his people. What man intended for evil, he says, God intended for good. That's what Joseph proclaimed. That's what Joseph Bones proclaimed to the Israelites of Egypt. Joseph was saying this, brothers, I know God is going to bring you out of Egypt. Therefore, when he does, take my body out of the ground and take me with you. How do I know that's true? Because you read Hebrews chapter 11, and the author of Hebrews says this, that by faith, Joseph, he, when he was made dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Now, here's the significance of this. Here are the Israelites. They're taking a detour, and it, it just sucks, right? And they're thinking, why, God? Why, Moses? This is wrong. Are we sure on the right path? Are we really going to make it there? And here's the thing. Even if God gave them an answer to why they were going this way, I don't think it would make anything easier, would it? Even if God actually gave them an explanation, well, here's why. I don't think it would be easier to give them more peace, more comfort, any more than that. Think about this. Why, why God, why am I going through this? Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to experience all this hardship when we could have gone the shorter way? And if God said to him, well, because this is the safer route. Because if you went the other route, you would have just chickened out really quickly and you would have just gone back. And, and then I think, oh, okay, then I'll endure 40 years of pain and suffering. I don't think they would do that, even if they knew why. You ever ask that question, why? Why is this happening? Why do I have to go through this? Why? And here's the thing. When people ask this question, why, particularly in their hard situations, I don't think anyone who's asking why like this is going to be satisfied with any answer that you have. You know, I, I've shared this before. When my son was around three or four, he had to get an enema because he was bleeding out of his butthole, right? Apparently, he had a, he had a little, uh, um, what is it, cyst, right? And so I had to give him an enema, you know, take his little, little cute little butt and, and just kind of stick something in there and, and flush it out. And of course, the little kid is freaking out. He's crying, you know, you know, he's just crying. And the question that he's crying is, Dad, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? Now, if I said to him, well, Christian, you know, you have to understand because you have a pulp. And you need to have, you know, it might cause you problems later on, and we need to flush it out, and you need to get it checked out. And that's why we're inserting this little chemical into your body so that you can flush things out, and so the doctor can look at it. 
I mean, do you think he would respond, oh, well, go away, okay, I get it, Dad, go ahead, plug away, Dad, I understand. Of course not. He's still going to say, why, why, why? You don't really want to know why when you were in that situation. The question there is not to satisfy your intellectual curiosity so that you could just endure the hurt. No, you just want the hurting to stop. You just want the suffering to stop. You just want it to end, to, to just resolve. And they learned... The Israelites learned, and, and we need to learn, don't we? Especially in those times where we just don't get what God is doing and why we have to go through something. That understanding and that figuring it out, that making sense of it all, is not always what's best for us. That oftentimes, very often, we will never understand why. But the reality is, if you seek to find your comfort, your peace and assurance to an explanation, you might never really find peace, comfort, or peace. But our passage reminds us, the place of comfort and assurance and peace are found not in the explanation why, but in the promises of God. That God trusts his promise to be faithful and gracious and that he's still good. The Israelites are complaining, they're questioning, they're doubting, they're hating God. Why is this? Why is this? When is it done? And in the midst of them, here's Joseph's bones, proclaimed under, utter, under the utter reliability of the promises of God. Joseph believed 500 years before them, this is what's going to happen. And I think that gave him some encouragement to remember that. That we don't always need to know why God is doing what, is he do, what he's doing, but it is to be enough for us that it is God who is doing these things and he is good and his promises are true and his promises are meant to assure us. Don't judge your circumstances by your best guesses. Don't try and wed and marry your comfort to explanations of understanding why. Instead, find your hope, your joy, your peace in what God says he is and what he promises to you. They're meant to be an assurance, okay? Third and last point here is this. Not only do we see the path of God, not only do we see the promises of God, but we see the presence of God. The path of God preserves us. The promises of God are meant to assure us. And finally, the presence of God is meant to direct us. And we're told here in our passage that these Israelites moved from Sukkoth and they camped to Etham on the way to the edge of the wilderness. In verse 21, we're told the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of cloud by fire or by night did not depart from the people. Okay? Notice this. They get to the edge of the wilderness, but it's not Moses, we're told, that led them. It's not some, you know, map. It's not some GPS. We're told them it's these pillars. Pillars of cloud during the day, pillar of fire during night. And to be honest, I don't know what they are, okay? I'm not quite sure what they are. Some, some say, some archaeologists say that it may have been a volcano on the, in the distance that was kind of active and smoking, and they follow that direction. But the thing is, you know, we're told that these pillars move. So I'm not sure what they are, but whatever they were, we're to understand that it was in those the presence of God himself. And it was always there. Right? 
fire and cloud, they always symbolize the presence of God in the Bible. Throughout the whole Exodus, cloud and fire was the presence of the Lord. Remember the burning bush? Right? The presence of God. Remember giving people manna? There was a cloud. The presence of God. Remember Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, there's fire and brimstone? It's the presence of God. Remember the tabernacle, the presence where, God, where that presence of God is? There was a cloud that hovered. It was the presence of God. You go to Genesis 15, and the covenant that God makes with Abraham, remember there was a smoking pot, a flaming torch? The presence of God. And so here we're told the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, whatever you want to say that is, it's meant to be the presence of God. And it continues into the New Testament. You remember when Jesus went up, how did he go up? Into a cloud, the presence of God. But the point here is this, that God was with them. In fact, in verse 22, we're told he never left them. He never departed from the people. He was with them. In other words, all along the way, they were never alone. He never left them. But every moment of every day along the way, their journey forms. And all along, they're thinking, God, what are you doing? Why am I have to go through this? When is this going to be over? Or are you even there? You know, God, I don't even like you right now. I'm, I'm angry at you. I don't even believe in you. And here, I think God's saying, you're stupid. I'm faithful to you even when you're faithless. I'm faithful to my promises to you. You might leave. You might walk away from me, but I've never left. And some of us might think, well, you know, they had it easier to trust in God because, you know, if I saw a pillar of fire, a cloud guiding me, I, I might have believed a lot more easily. Really? Because the Israelites struggled with their faith all along the way when right before their eyes were these pillars. But what about you? What are your privileges as a person who believes in Jesus Christ? Because the truth here is this. The presence of God that went before the Israelites was at best only a shadow of what the Bible says we have now. This trial, this journey that sometimes seems so unbearable to us that when we are tempted to question his wisdom and his kindness and his goodness, does it ever occur to us that God is still there? leading us on this difficult path to keep us from a worse one. But more to the point, and here's the thing, listen carefully. As we travel through our difficult time, does it ever occur to us, however hard it is before us, that he has sent his son on an even harder way? That the way we are on is far easier than the way God sent his son. Why should we trust in God's providence? Why should we trust in God's promises? Why should we believe that he's still here with us and he guides us? Because it's Jesus Christ who took a path so that you didn't have to take his path. And he knows your path, that your journey is filled with hardship, hunger, thirst, and sickness, even death. But Jesus says, I took a path down a road beaten, tortured, mocked, ridiculed. I was hungry on a cross. I cried out. I thirst on a cross. I died on a cross like a thief. I took this path so that you didn't have to. Trust in my providence. What men meant for evil, God intended for good. I died on a cross unjustly, but to pay for sin, secure God's grace, give you forgiveness, give you providence in his life in order to promise you as you live and journey in this world, 
Yes, you will have trouble, but I have overcome so that I promise you there is better to come. An eternal, forever kind of better. No more sickness, no more tears, no more sadness, no more death. No other, it's, it's more than just promising to get you to the goal here. The end, I, I promise you'll get it. But along the way, right now, in your journey, across the many bumps in your road of life, especially when it feels like you're in the valley of the shadow of death, I promise you, I will be with you now until the end of the age. Matthew 28. Because not only did I die, but I rose on the third day. I ascended to the Father. You read Acts chapter 2. Fire descended on the church at Pentecost. Tongues of flame, it says. My presence is with you. Like never before. Not just to go ahead of you or behind you, but to dwell within you forever. I promise you, I will be with you now until the end of the world. And his promise assures us. Friends, you have privileges that are vast and incalculable. You have privileges that are rich and sweet. You and I have something far better than the Israelites ever did. We have Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. Who is that? God with us. In the spirit. Dwelling in us, among us forever and he gives you comfort because he is the comforter that is promised and that's why unlike these Israelites we say Christ in me is to live his presence he guides us he directs our steps he never deserts us he's never left but he promises to bring out of the worst a goodness and sweetness and beauty for his glory for your soul the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. So the path of God preserves us because Jesus took the road less traveled. Trust in him. The promises of God assures us because it's Jesus who says he is with us, in us, and he will never leave us. And the presence of God directs us because the spirit of God himself, the Bible says, lives within us. And that means though you will not always see how to get home, the one who has brought you safe thus far will lead you home one day. You know, I feel like sometimes as we come out of the pandemic, it was a year of sort of wilderness for many of us, right? Uh, and now we're coming out. And immediately we are busy. Busy making plans. Busy setting travel dates. Busy trying to visit people. Here's a question that I want to ask. Did you learn anything through that one year? Did you learn anything about God through the one year? Did you learn anything about yourself? Or are you going to just go back to life and pretend it never happened? Because here's the promise. It won't be the last wilderness. What do you need when you're ready to go into the wilderness? You need the providence of God. You need the promises of God. And you need his presence. And all of these things in its fullness, are found in Jesus himself, who you have right now. So trust in him every day. Let's pray.